When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This is episode number 116 in our weekly series. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane, back in time 50 years, and bring you all the hockey news from that time period exactly as it was being reported in the words of some of the greatest sports journalists of all time. This week, we are in the period of January 31st to February 6, 1972. Every week about this time, we'd like to remind you that if you like what we do here each week on uh, the Hockey Podcast Network and every day on Twitter with our uh, Twitter account, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff uh, in the hopper coming up. Uh what we get to do in, in the uh, subscriber podcast, we call them overtime, is we uh, delve more deeply and in greater detail into the stories that dominated the hockey world at that time. Uh, we have some special features, and in fact, we have three Patreon episodes that we are going to be recording this week uh, with some pretty interesting historical stories you likely won't find anywhere else. And a personal update from myself for this week. Every day we're we're getting a bit stronger. I had a bit of a setback the last couple of days in getting the uh, Twitter feed out, but uh, we think we're getting back to normal now. We're trying to get a little exercise, a little more exercise each day, either on the stationary bike or walks outside uh, when Port Colburn weather permits. And in the winter, if you've lived in this area, you know that can be a daunting problem sometimes. The brain fog is still continuing a bit, but I think that's even improved a little over the, the past week. Although we're still finding it a, a little difficult to maintain our concentration for longer periods of time. But we're getting there. So as we begin this uh, this week 
week's uh, look at the end of January, beginning of February. We'll give you a little update on the NHL standings. The Eastern Division, Boston Bruins, a record of 49-34-7. We're still in first place, and they had now stretched their lead to six over the second-place New York Rangers. Everything else is pretty much decided, even at this uh, early stage of the season. Montreal is in third, eight points back in New York. Uh, Detroit and Toronto still battling for the fourth and final playoff spot. As we went into the week, they were tied with 50 points each. Vancouver and Buffalo trailing the field by a lot. In the Western Division, the Blackhawks were now taking control with an 11-point lead over second-place Minnesota. California way back with 44 points to Minnesota's 62. The Blues won uh, three points back of the Seals with 41 points, while the Flyers still held out playoff hopes. Five points back of St. Louis with 36. The Penguins at 33. And the Kings showing a little bit of life, but only 32 points. So as usual, we'll try and go sort of chronologically through the week, but there are things coming in and out and stories that started one day and kind of carried on a couple days. So we'll try and summarize each of them. The Blues started things off early in the week by calling up the defenseman Dick Perceviat and forward Kurt Bennett. Perceviat comes up from the Kansas City Blues of the Central League because John Arbor had a broken arm and Kurt Bennett was playing for Denver of the Western Hockey League and he was taken over for the injured Brian Lavender. Now, there were stories in Montreal this week, uh, I believe it was one of the Montreal French language papers, claiming that Sabres star Gilbert Perrault had basically walked out, had quit the team. He was supposedly had done this after a severe dressing down. He and uh, fellow uh, Quebec native of Montreal, Uh, native Richard Martin and him were given a real bad dressing down by interim coach Joe Crozier. Joe took over for Punch Imlach, who had the recent heart attack. Crozier called the two into his office and basically screened at them for about 25 minutes over their lack of defensive responsibility. Uh, In fact, anybody who was in the odd in Buffalo when that happened said it could be heard reverberating throughout the arena if you've ever been in the odd when it's empty and I have uh, yeah the 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 uh, words do kind of echo through the place now Perot as soon as he found out about the report he was quick to speak up he even spoke with the Montreal Gazette and said that he had not even spoken to any Montreal reporters for a couple of weeks Although he was aware that a couple of Montreal writers had called his mother in Quebec and a brother-in-law also in Quebec asking questions, but nothing seemed to come to it to, to Jill. So the story about this is nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Keep going. Nothing here at all. An early week trade rumor had the Toronto Maple Leafs talking to the Vancouver Canucks with the Leafs apparently having some interest, according to Vancouver writers, in forward Rosaire Pema, although no names of Toronto players were mentioned as going back to Vancouver in any possible swap. Now, 
Bud Poyle got a little upset with Jim Gregory, the Leafs general manager, because Poyle apparently thought he had made an appointment to have Gregory visit him in his office at Pacific Coliseum, where the two would talk about making some kind of a bartering deal. Well, Gregory didn't show up, and when Poyle called him at his Vancouver hotel room, the Leafs were in Vancouver Saturday night of the weekend, what happened there was Jim said that Canucks really don't have any players that hold a great deal of interest for the Leafs. Now, the Leafs were also considering, early in the week, bringing up a forward from Tulsa by the name of Errol Thompson, a native of Prince Edward Island. Thompson had scored 15 goals in the Central Hockey League this year, but he suffered some sort of an injury on the weekend, so those plans to bring him up were put on hold. Now, Errol Thompson's an interesting case here. He was discovered playing senior hockey for Sandy's Royal, a team in Prince Edward Island, by Leaf scout Johnny Bauer. So a guy with basically almost no junior A experience and just playing senior hockey, a guy like that, his chances to progress to the NHL usually are between Slim and none, and Slim's about to leave town. But Johnny Bauer saw something he liked in Errol Thompson, and he had the Leafs sign the guy to a minor pro contract, and the guy's looking pretty good down at Tulsa. Well, we learned this week in Pittsburgh, one of our favorite hockey people of all time, Red Kelly, went to Pittsburgh ownership and asked to be relieved of his duties as general manager of the team. And Ted Potter, the uh, Tad Potter, the Penguins president, agreed to Red's request. So Red stepped back as general manager, continues as coach of the team. He figures he can do more to improve the team there. Red knows in Pittsburgh, like most cities around the National Hockey League, you need to have a winner to really bring the fans in. And the Penguins aren't, aren't drawing well at all. So the speculation was that Red was going to, speculation, the result was that Red was going to take over. The Penguins behind the bench or continue there, devoting all his time to coaching the Penguins. There was a rumor that Red was going to suit up after five years of retirement and play for the Penguins, and he quickly put that to rest, and he told Milt Dunnell of the Toronto Star, I know exactly where that story started. Guess who might have put up that speculation? It was a writer at that time. The Philadelphia Papers were full of reaction to the Big Kings Flyers deal, which sent Serge Bernier, Jimmy Johnson, Bill LeSouk, and Larry Brown to Los Angeles for Eddie Joel, Ross Lonsbury, Bill Flett, and Jean Potvin. A lot of people don't know about this. Uh, the deal was actually two separate trades, and I have no idea why they were deemed as individual deals. Uh, originally, the first swap was going to be Larry Brown to the Kings for Jean Potvin. Uh, and then it was the three forwards from the Flyers for the three Kings uh, forwards. Uh, they were announced at the same time, but they were officially separate moves. Now, one of the newspapers in Philadelphia already early this week had the headline that the Flyers had, quote, blown another trade. This is typical of hockey writers at the time. They live in the moment. Ah, they still do today, I guess, in in 2022. They were living in the moment. They, they live in the moment now. Uh, things would turn out that this was not a bad deal 
for the Philadelphia Flyers, if you know your history. Now, another paper had speculated that the Flyers made the deal for Jean Potvin because they already had their eye on younger brother Dennis Potvin, who at that time was starring in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series with the Ottawa 67s, and they hoped that it might be easier to sign Dennis if the opportunity presented himself with his brother on the Flyers. By the way, Flyers GM Keith Allen said he wasn't yet done making trades and that he had an offer on the table to the Vancouver Canucks, although no names were discussed in that particular rumor. Well, Tuesday this week, Uh, was a dark day in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs, although we didn't know it at the time. Uh, We've got news from the Toronto Star that the ownership dispute of the Maple Leafs and Maple Leaf Gardens might finally be resolved, and it was done so in a manner that would, time would prove, destroy any hopes for a renaissance that the Maple Leaf fans were hoping for in 1972. The Star reported that Harold Ballard had purchased the Smythe family stock in Maple Leaf Gardens, paying a whopping, for that time, $7,546,350. And $50. Now, I'm not sure if there's any sense attached to that. Now, we weren't sure at the time where Pal Hal got all this money, but some sources have uh, Hal in major debt to the Toronto Dominion Bank for approximately three quarters of the $7.5 million sum that it took to acquire the Maple Leaf stock. I'm sure we'll hear more about this as time goes on. Well, here's a good news story after that piece of horrible news, at least if you're a Maple Leaf, and this is good news if you're a Canadian's follower. Serge Savard made his long-awaited return to the Canadian's lineup this week. Serge had been out since he broke his left leg for the second time last spring, and it was all, it was actually coming as the weekend was coming up. The Canadian's announced that he would be starting for them, and uh, you could wish Serge Savard a good guy, nothing but the best as he tries to come back from two broken legs, the same leg, in two years. Not been a very happy season for the Blues forward Floyd Thompson, although he's got to be ecstatic over making the NHL this year. But on Tuesday of this week, he was injured in an automobile accident near St. Louis on U.S. Highway 40. Thompson was hurt when his car rear-ended another vehicle that had been parked on the shoulder of the highway. The nature of Thompson's injuries were not disclosed, but Coach Al Arbor described them as not serious and there was no word whether Floyd had been uh, charged by the police for the accident anything like that. Now Thompson of course if you know has got another cloud hanging over him at this very moment 50 years ago. He two other Blues players and coach Al Arbor are scheduled to appear in a Philadelphia courthouse next week on charges that they were uh, hit with stemming from that brawl with the Flyers at the Philadelphia Spectrum Arena last month. Well, just as the Boston Bruins are hopeful of getting defenseman Don Ory back in their lineup after he's missed a month and a half with a broken ankle, they lost another player to a broken angle. Right winger 
Ken Hodge suffered what was uh, quoted as an uncomplicated fracture of the right ankle during a game this week. Ken is going to be out for the next six weeks, and it looks like they're going to try out young Don Marcotte in uh, Hodge's right wing spot with Phil Esposito and Wayne Cashman. Uh Marcotte's more of a left winger. I watched him play in junior a lot. I thought he was more of a left winger. Excellent defensive forward. Has a good touch around the net. But they might try him on the right side. And we'll see if Marcotte can uh, find a uh, an unheard of scoring touch up to this point. Another good news story as far as we're concerned. On February 1st, Punch Emlack, general manager coach of the Buffalo Sabres, was released from Deaconess Hospital in Buffalo. He was driven to his Scarborough home by Sabres director of scouting and Punch's longtime friend John Anderson. But what was neat about this was Punch was taken home in a brand spanking new Cadillac El Dorado. The car was a gift to Punch from Sabres owner Seymour and Northrop Knox. Uh, what a nice way to uh, perk up Punch's spirits and uh, maybe get him on the road to recovery from that heart attack and back to uh, work at the Memorial Auditorium for the Sabres. And by the way, Imlac's wife Dodo was also on the journey, probably to keep Punch from giving too many orders to John Anderson on how to drive this brand new car. Here's a story from Ron Wysocki of the Boston Globe. Derek Sanderson's stylish home in Boston was burgled over the weekend. Stolen were two tickets to the Bruins game against St. Louis on Sunday night, but the the apartment sustained about $3,800 in damage, most of that taken up by a table that was uh, busted up. That must have been some kind of a table, $3,800. Now, whether the burglars used the pilfered tickets wasn't known because their loss wasn't even discovered until after the game had been played. For all Sanderson knows, the miscreants might have been sitting in his seats applauding in professional admiration when he stole past the Blue and Secondary and scored a shorthanded goal. Well, here's a story the Montreal Gazette reported out of Sapporo, Japan. And I'm not going to talk about the Olympics and the tournament because to me it meant nothing because in reality it meant nothing. The Russian senior hockey coach Arkady Chernyshov said last night that he cannot understand why the Canadian professional teams refused to visit the USSR and said his country would welcome friendly matches with the National Hockey League. Speaking at a joint Soviet press conference covering all winter sports, Chernyshov said Russia issued an invitation to the Canadian pros, including the Montreal Canadiens, last spring and left dates open in their schedule for games in both countries. The invitations apparently were given to Gordon Jux and Charles Hay of the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association at the 1971 World Championships in Switzerland, and an agreement was reached, but two and a half months later, the Soviets say they received notice of cancellation of the Games. Asked to whom the invitation was issued, Chernyshov looked directly at Canadian journalists and said, inform Canada that it was the Montreal Canadians. Now, 
You have to understand, Chernyshov later called the Canadian Journalists aside, and he emphasized Russia did not deal directly with the NHL or any NHL team because of the rules of the International Ice Hockey Federation forbids them to contact the NHL directly because that well-known international narcissist, Bunny Ahern, has to have everybody go through him as he continues his empire building over on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. In Montreal, Irving Grunman, assistant to the president in the new administration, which took over Canadians just before the new year started, said a confrontation with the Russia is well worth consideration, and he said that the team will study the challenge. Meanwhile, in Boston, the Bruins president, Weston W. Adams Jr., said that an invitation to play the Soviet Union's powerful national hockey team would be, quote, seriously considered by the Boston Bruins. Adams said the NHL is considered the premier caliber of play, and as the premier team, we feel we'd give any invitation all due consideration. But coach Tom Johnson of the Bruins expressed concern over timing. Tom said that he imagined that they could only play after the season, but then again, he doesn't think their guys would be in the mood for playing a lot of hockey after the emotion of the Stanley Cup playoffs. A little story out of uh, California that I thought I would bring along this week. The Seals recalled defenseman Ken Baird from the Oklahoma City Blazers of the CHL where he'd been playing uh, on loan as part of a complicated deal that sent Chris Odlifson, I think, to the to the Bruins uh, was and Ivan Boldarev to California. Uh, he was called up as an emergency fill-in for injured defenseman uh, Carol Vadney and Paul Schmier. Vadney had a bad groin schmear, a fractured thumb. Now, this was interesting because Ken Baird, uh, who was a, the Seals' first pick, but only in the second round in the recent amateur draft, he had played seven games early in the season for California, and he, he was actually the subject of a lot of controversy, uh, although you probably never heard anything about it, and this probably led to Coach Fred Glover's firing. You see, Glover liked Baird's training camp and wanted to get a better look at him. So he played him in the first seven games of the season. But general manager Gary Young, trying to show everybody that he's the boss of the Seals, and I don't know why anybody would want to admit to that anyway, he chastised Glover for playing Baird in the early going. And uh, he decided that this was a big problem with Glover because Glover didn't listen to him. He kind of laughed at the young upstart who was the GM and said he was going to play who he wanted to play. Eventually, Fred got to play who he wanted to play, only it would be with the Los Angeles Kings after he was unceremoniously dumped by the Seals. Well, the Canadian press had reported this week that the new NHL team in Long Island, uh, owned by Roy Bow, uh, his name is, he's the franchise holder, he's looking for Al McNeil, the former Canadians coach who won the Stanley Cup last spring, Al McNeil is who Roy Bow apparently wants as the first bench boss. Uh, they were also looking at the Rochester Americans as the American Hockey League as their farm team. Now, Roy Boyce said, what's not to like about Al McNeil? He's a young, 
attractive, aggressive guy. He has a tremendous record. He's won the Stanley Cup. What more can you say? Bo said that he had asked the Canadians for permission to talk to McNeil, but as of yet, they hadn't given him permission. So why not tamper a little bit and tell the Canadian press that you want the guy? Oh, meanwhile, Stan Fischler was telling us at the very same time that Harry Sinden would be back in the NHL next season, and it was probably going to be with the Long Island team. Another Fischler gem this week. Uh, this one kind of made me laugh at the time and makes me laugh a little more now. Stan Fischler claimed that the Flyers' overweight, poor-attitude defenseman Rick Foley is superior to both Hawks, Keith Magnuson, and Doug Jarrett. Now, remember Foley, now with the uh, Philadelphia Flyers and under scrutiny for his excess weight, uh, complained to Stan about all the favoritism going on with Chicago team from whom he was traded. Here's what Fischler wrote. Foley's beef, and it is legitimate, is that he is superior to defenseman Keith Magnuson and Doug Jarrett as a hockey player. Put either of those two Blackhawk defenders on Philadelphia and they'd fall apart as backliners. Foley said, I have nothing against Magnuson personally, but he's just not that good a player. He gets built up so much that people start to think he's good. And I don't think I've ever seen him win a fight. Well, that's right. I don't think Keith Magnus never did win a fight. But I'll tell you what, Keith Magnuson was around the NHL long enough to show up for a lot of fights. Bob Verde of the Chicago Tribune, who's the last year or two making a pretty good name for himself as a hockey reporter in Chicago, reported this week that the Maple Leafs were in trade talks with the Blackhawks and the target Toronto was apparently interested in was Hawks forward prospect Dan Maloney, currently playing with Dallas in the in the Central Hockey League. The Leafs had their eye on him ever since he was a forward prospect in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series with the London Knights, and I did go to a few Knights games in those days, and I always thought Dan Maloney had a good chance to make it in the NHL. Nick Maletti, who owns the Cleveland National Basketball Association team and the American Hockey League Cleveland Barons, uh, made the news this week on a couple of fronts. He said that he planned to make a formal application to the NHL for an expansion team. Now, he's working on constructing a major league quality arena, but it's not going to be in downtown Cleveland, and that might be a problem. They're going to put it about 20 miles from downtown in the suburb of Richfield, Ohio. There's some controversy about it the, uh, recently, but the uh, people who run the Richfield Village suburb, whatever it's called, have finally given approval for an arena to be built out there, apparently. Now, it was also revealed this week that Maletti has made an offer to purchase the Cleveland Major League Baseball Club. That's right. And this almost looks like it would be the basis for a movie someday about Major League Baseball. But Maletti wants to own the Cleveland team as well. Boy, he's looking to be quite the sports magnet. Something like maybe Jack Kent Cook. Who knows? Okay, everyone, the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, 
DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the United States. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code THPN. That's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. This is void. We're prohibited. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. I think I know why Ren Blair hired Jackie Gordon to coach the North Stars when Ren stepped away from that position to concentrate on the GM duties. Jackie Gordon is a lot like Ren Blair. He never met a microphone he didn't like. Blair was a great interview. We talked to him about a, uh, a project on the expansion draft, and he's really an interesting guy, was an interesting guy. Jackie Gordon, the same. Well, Jackie Gordon also uh, has sizing things up pretty good in the NHL this year. Somebody asked him how he sees the NHL playing out this year, and here's what Jack Gordon had to say. If Boston continues to play the way it has, I can't see how anybody will stop the Bruins from winning the Stanley Cup. Why? They simply don't lose. Another Canadian press story this week, Northwest Sports Enterprises Limited. The owners of the Vancouver Canucks of the NHL do that complicated ownership agreement with Medicor of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, the Canadian division, I guess, Northwest Sports Enterprises, acquired controlling interests in the Seattle totems of the Western Hockey League. Lyman D. Walters, a vice president of Northwest Sports and also of Medicor, said that Totem President Vince Abbey will remain a major stockholder on the team, but Totem's general manager, Murray Costello, who is also a shareholder, is now out of a job. Bud Poyle, will, the general manager of the Canucks, will also serve in the dual capacity as general manager of the Totems, 
who are in last place in the Western Hockey League. Walter said that Rochester Canucks American League farm team won't be affected by the Seattle acquisition. However, Abby told reporters that the Canucks plan to sell the Rochester franchise at the end of the season. And of course, that's where the rumors that the Long Island team is interested in that. Now, Bud Poyle said that if Seattle is granted an NHL franchise, Vancouver has been guaranteed another franchise in the Western Hockey League, and apparently there are some machinations in the background for this deal that starts the ball rolling so that in the next couple of years, Seattle's going to have an NHL team probably by the end of the 1970s. Well, we have some WHA news for you this week, and this first story is out of the Miami News, and it's quite interesting where uh, all the talk about the uh, Miami Screaming Beagles or whatever the hell, the Angry Birds, I guess you could call them, the Miami Angry Birds, yeah, Angry Birds, that might catch on. Well, they... uh, have been talking about how it's going to be great having Bernie Perrant and Derek Sanderson, who haven't signed anything at this point in time, playing in Miami next year. It's big league hockey. Here's a more sober look at the prospects of the World Hockey Association Miami team. Now, here's some quotes that start off the article. And these are quotes uh, from uh, Uh, the owner of the team, Herb Martin, who said, quote, without question, we'll be on a parity with the NHL within three years, and it could happen sooner. Martin said, in one form or another, we've already had 6,000 applications for season tickets. And in a separate quote, Martin said, we have already sold 3,500 season tickets. And final quote from Herb Martin We think that by our second season, if you don't have a season ticket, you won't be able to see a hockey game in Miami. George Storen, the fine uh, sports editor of of this publication, the Miami News, says that those are quotes culled from other newspapers attributed to Herb Martin, the man who says he's going to put a Miami team in the WHA. From reading these and other statements made by Martin, one would get the feeling that Miami is on the verge of becoming the hockey capital of the world. Mr. Storen says he can't buy it. If Mr. Martin is sincere, he either has not done his homework or he's very naive and has a bundle of money that he just wants to toss away. You see, professional hockey is a great sport. And Mr. Storen believes with a suitable arena and patient management, South Florida would support a National Hockey League team. Miami was mentioned last week at the NHL meetings as a possible expansion site in the mid-1970s. Good luck with that. But a made-from-scratch team and a fledgling lead? No chance. Ask the Floridians of the ABA. Better still, ask the Miami Dolphins, who were something less than an overnight success at the box office. South Floridians have a history of one, ignoring anything that smacks of being minor league, and two, adopting a wait-and-see-how-it-goes attitude with any new team in town, 
even if it were to be Major League. Martin, who boasts he's never even seen a hockey game in his life, maintains that the Screaming Eagles, would you believe that's a name he actually hung on his team, will be Major League in every way. To back up his claims, it's been reported that Martin has made a very substantial offer to Derek Sanderson of the Boston Bruins and that Bernie Perrant, the goalie for the Maple Leafs name, has come up. Now, Mr. Storen has no reason to believe or doubt that such offers have been made to Sanderson and maybe even other NHL uh, frontliners. However, it's a long way between making substantial offers, having it accepted, and finally putting up the cash to close the deal. And it's going to take a whopper of a cashier's check to put Derek Sanderson in whatever the Miami uniform looks like. Bob Wolf, the lawyer who represents the Boston All-Star, isn't about to let his client give up the security of the Bruins without making Herb Martin pay extremely heavily. To lure Sanderson, says Wolf, it'll have to be the biggest pro contract in history. And even then, Sanderson would only just think about it. Another question for this Miami hockey team is where the heck are they going to play? I put out uh, a few weeks ago a nice picture of Herb Martin and one of his associates standing in front of a building that looked a little bit like the early days of construction. Well, not actually the mid to later days of construction of the Forum in Los Angeles. Really nice picture. It was said that this is the uh, building that they were putting the finishing touches on for the new arena that the Miami Screaming Eagles were going to play in. Now, Mr. Storen reports that according to Frank Dolson of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Wolf, Bob Wolf, the Sanderson's lawyer, drove out a few weeks ago to Martin's Executive Square, which is under construction uh, in the city, and the lawyer apparently told Frank Dolson, good columnist by the way, that if that's it, I'm impressed, staring through his windshield at an L-shaped building somewhere off in the distance. That was apparently it, according to this story. But uh, Mr. Storen wonders if Wolf found his way down the dirt road that leads to the construction site and took a close look at what's behind the glass-enclosed walls that you see from the highway. Well, he did this last week, and he saw a, a building that is way far from complete he said he was impressed with the building's possibilities as a site for offices but as an arena got a long way to go like it needs two other sides a roof a hockey rink and seats for the 15,000 people martin predicts will turn out for the home games this october now storen says i don't claim to be an expert but when i picture a building under construction i see it with four sides going up simultaneously or at least the foundations of four sides. If the enthusiastic but possibly naive Herb Martin intends the Screaming Eagles to play in the backyard of his office building next fall is field hockey, then he's got a chance to make it. But ice hockey? Not a chance in the fall of 1972 for that to happen. Interesting story out of Windsor, Ontario. The Minnesota Fighting Saints might want to employ the Windsor Arena as their training camp site this September. And, of course, the Windsor people would be more than happy to accommodate the Fighting Saints. 
Now, arena manager in Windsor, Cyril Martinello, said this week that they had been contacted unofficially, but not by anyone associated with the WHA team. They're definitely interested. It looks pretty good from what uh, he's heard through the grapevine, but I don't know many deals like that that get made through the grapevine. A little more WHA updating. Bill Hunter says his Edmonton World Hockey Association franchise has received a vote of confidence from the Edmonton paying public. Hunter said this week that the season ticket sales have started off extremely well and he was confident that they will be completely sold out by May 31st, Hunter did not give any figures on the alleged success of the campaign, which started only two weeks ago with a lot of advertising. Hunter, who is the general manager and part owner of the Edmonton franchise, said season ticket sales so far have been unsolicited other than the advertising. Sales crew will be put to work in the near future. The target is to sell 4,500 of the 5,200 seats available at the Edmonton Gardens. So don't figure on anything breaking even in Edmonton until they get a rink with at least twice that number of seats. Now, a $5.50 season ticket for home games costs uh, 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 39 home games, 214.50 bucks. The top ticket is $6, which will cost $20 more for the season. A total of 700 seats will be reserved for sale on a game-by-game walk-up basis, and they will cost $4. And Hunter says the new team will probably be known as the Oil Kings, and they will have offices on the main floor of the McDonald Hotel. Now, the offices are currently actually under construction as this report was being made. Hunter was also negotiating with the city of Edmonton regarding construction of a new arena, and that would be ready for the second season, 1973-74. Now, just to show you how things change depending who you're listening to, this story I've been reporting on was by Wayne Overland of the Edmonton Journal, who was surrounded by controversy in his own way throughout his writing career. Well, he said there was good news in Miami. General Manager Lester Patrick announced that the club had already, that's of the Miami Screaming Eagles, Lester Patrick, he said the club was sold out of prime $10 box seats for the season, opening October 14th, and the Miami Arena was now 50% completed. I guess 50% of the walls are up, according to the last story. There were two walls. Yeah, 50% of something was completed, I guess. And he also said that Boston lawyer Bob Wolf uh, said he was very uh, impressed with what he saw in Miami. Now, Wolf apparently told Wayne Overland that I was tremendously impressed with what I saw in Miami. They're building a $12 million complex for hockey, and there certainly appears to be high integrity and a lot of money behind the franchise. Just remember, Bob Wolf is a lawyer, and he's not under oath when he's saying this. Overland also reports that uh, the Miami offer or talking to Bernie Perron of the Maple Leafs isn't really going to fly because Miami doesn't even have the WHA rights to talk to Bernie Perrant. Calgary General Manager Scotty Monroe complained that Perrant was on his protected list and Miami 
offered Perrant somewhere around $600,000 for a multi-year contract. Now, each team is apparently allowed to uh, place four players on a protected list, and Monroe says Perrant is the property of Calgary, and Bill Hunter confirmed that. So how is uh, Miami going to get around making the offer to Perrant? No one really knows. This uh, Wayne Overland plugged in maybe a little more than a lot of people, but this whole thing just shows the... Uh, not everybody was quite on the same page with the WHA to start with. Let's just say that. Meanwhile, in Ottawa, Jack Kaufman, the fine sports columnist there, reported that although nothing has been signed and no firm agreement had been reached, a good deal of honest negotiating was being done and that the Ottawa franchise would be making it in the Ottawa Civic Center uh and that they expected the agreement by the end of the week they expected the agreement would be signed just about any day Harold Case is a sports columnist for the Boston Globe and one of the good ones but he's an old guy who's been around a while but he wrote a little bit of a story about the New England Whalers which is going to be the WHA team from that reason to start playing this fall and we'll just give you a bit of what uh, Harold Case said about this fledgling franchise that was trying to get started. Harold writes, if sports had a croix de guerre, we would have to look no farther than the new office building, the New England Whalers in the Statler building in Boston to find someone to give it to. Courage can be a goalie diving into a melee to smother a puck or a defenseman dropping in front of a hard shot or a forward risking his neck against the boards in a corner, but it can also be starting a new franchise to compete with the Boston Bruins. Starting a new team in Winnipeg, Miami, or even Los Angeles is one thing, but starting it in the home, terri home territory of the best hockey team in the world has to be valor of a higher dimension. They have a neat name, an experienced coach in Jack Kelly, and a hustling front office team headed by Howard Baldwin, a financial springboard with plenty of whip and the savvy of Phil Fine, but the attitude of Or Espo worshippers still ranges from sadness to incredulity. Their season is slated to open in October, but two things the Whalers still don't have. Players and a place to play. Lack of a rink worries them more than the lack of players. They feel they can certainly get enough skaters to ice a team. Now next weekend, the WHA will hold its first draft, and that'll take place, of course, near Disney World in Anaheim. What an appropriate site. This'll determine what team will go after Bobby Orr, Bobby Hull, Stan Makita, Ed Jockman, Frank Mahovlich, Brad Park, and all the rest. You see, every pro player, star and bench warmer, big league and minor league, and the most desirable amateurs and collegians will be drafted by the 12 teams of the new league and then of course after the draft it'll be a member of inducing the players to jump to the WHA just as Rick Barry jumped from the NBA to the American Basketball Association the leverage of course will be money and of course the player will have to ask where am I going to play well John Colburn Jr. the new Whalers executive vice president said we're working on it of course, we hope it's Boston Garden, but uh, Colburn, Colburn said that they really weren't sure 
where they where they were going to end up, but it looked like they were going to try for Boston Garden. The whalers want the garden, not because it's a palatial edifice. You've been to the garden. You know that's not true. But because it is the biggest and best located rink in New England. If necessary, the whalers, they would accept having to play some home games at the garden and some in another location. You got to wonder, what dates can they get at Boston Garden? The Bruins have the premier uh, games and their farm team, the Braves, also attract larger crowds than what they'd ever get probably for the WHA. And of course, the Celtics have some priority. And, uh, you know, the Celtics are not a minor league team. They're, they're kind of well-known in the area. So where else would the Whalers play? Providence? That's another problem. See, Providence doesn't want a WA team. The Four Seasons and Ridge Arenas, they're possibilities, but they're not major league quality. In a couple of years, Boston could conceivably have a new rink, the one envisioned by MDC Commissioner John Sears. But until then, don't forget... The season starts in October. And another question. Who do you think will be the first player who will jump to the WHA? The NHL and the WHA, they don't talk about a war between the two leagues. They actually, these two entities probably couldn't be more polite if they were on the way to an altar to exchange vows. Now, Coburn said that we're not challenging the Bruins. We know we can't hurt them. They'll always be sold out. But we think this area will support another big league team, and we think they'll support the Whalers as well as the Bruins. Now, the Los Angeles lawyers who started the ABA are the ones who started the WHA, Gary Davidson and Dennis Murphy. They know their way around in the legal maze of interleague strife. The men who were quick and smart enough to get the New England franchise are Howard Baldwin of Marion. He's the uh, president and a formal official with the Philadelphia Flyers. And he's actually a pretty good guy. Uh, Coburn Marion, also um, Massachusetts. He's the executive vice president and treasurer. He's a Harvard man, formerly in the clothing business in Wareham. And Jeffrey Wood, Englewood, New Jersey. He's the secretary. And he was once a goalie for the Harvard varsity hockey team. So our final story for the week, this pretty interesting one, comes uh, out of the small Ontario town of Dresden. Wayne Gretzky, an 11-year-old member of the Brantford Steelers peewee team, had uh, the town of Dresden buzzing following an, perf- an incredible performance over the weekend in which he propelled his team into the semifinals of the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 113, and this, sorry, peewee, this is a squirt hockey tournament. Wayne was still in squirt at this time. Wayne scored nine goals and assisted on six others as his team trounced entries from Trenton and Riverside to gain a berth in the finals of the A division, which would be held next week at the Dresden Arena. In the two games this weekend, Wayne was in on 15 of the 16 goals his team scored in the two games. Now, this feat is nothing special for this kid. In the 40 games he's played for the Squirt Steelers this year, 
He's only scored in 40 games, 218 goals. At the Hespler Olympic Hockey Tournament earlier this season, another Ontario small town, this is the, the, uh, the actually the, the ground zero of hockey in Ontario small towns like this. At the Hespler Tournament earlier this year, he played in nine games over a couple of weekends. He scored 50 goals in the nine games. Officials expect the Dresden Arena to be packed for the finals next week to see Wayne in action. A little personal note about this. This was about the first I was starting to hear about this kid. There'd been a few kind of things going around, but, you know, the kid was 10 years old before this. Now he's 11. Uh, My roommate in my first year when I returned to university at McMaster University was a fellow from Brantford by the name of Paul Legacy. Great guy, uh, as big a hockey fan as I was at that time. He was from Brantford, and apparently his dad and Walter Gretzky were good friends. So the Brantford Pee Wee team was playing at the Wentworth Triple Rinks, which is not a long drive from McMaster University, that fall, 1972. And Paul said, you got to go see this kid. You won't believe it. So we went down and t- and one weekend and took in a game that this Brantford team was playing. And I have to tell you, the kid looked undersized. He looked scrawny. He looked frail. But I could not believe the vision, the intuition, and the hockey instincts the kid showed us. I didn't think he'd ever make it because I honestly didn't feel a kid with that framework on which he had to operate that slight build of a body I didn't think he could ever make it in the NHL of course I should have thought guys like Dave Keon managed to escape injury most of the time I just didn't think this kid would be strong enough to make a boy was I ever wrong So that is this week's presentation, everybody. And what did we learn from this very, very eventful week? Well, we learned that the WHA is probably going to make it in Ottawa, at least make a start in Ottawa. And the signing of documents was the only thing remaining to make it official. We learned that the Russians apparently issued a challenge to a game or series of games with the Montreal Canadiens. We got a little bit of the reaction to that from the Canadiens management and also from the Boston Bruins. And we heard of a young kid out of Brantford with an amazing scoring touch. And uh, as we would learn, an innate ability to understand the game of hockey at a level few, few human beings would ever reach. Would we ever hear of this kid as he approached adulthood? I wondered about that. So here's some of the stories we're working on for next week's show. Well, we'll have a bunch of quotes from around the hockey world as uh, compiled by Montreal Gazette sports editor Tim Burke. Some pretty interesting uh, quotes on a bunch of uh, uh, varied hockey topics. We'll get a look at a few days in the life of the prominent sports agent Bob Wolf, who we talked about in this uh edition a bit and we'll have a story about the Blackhawks being one of the first NHL teams to place an Olympian on their negotiation list and no it's not a guy named Harlamov or Nedimansky in fact it won't even be a hockey player at all stay tuned for that one the 50 years ago in hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole can't thank him enough for all his hard work and he's now in the business of producing podcasts professionally and if you're thinking of starting one get hold of me i'll hook you up with them 
He's one of the best in the business. He's a real true media professional. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, The Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music and our exit music. If you never get a chance to see them perform live, they put on a great high-energy show, and they will have a new CD coming out soon. Other musical pieces and sound effects are created by Andy Cole. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, our sponsor, newspapers.com who allows us to access literally thousands of newspapers from all over the world. And don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. They're open once again at 50% capacity. I'm making it there this week. And if anybody ever gets to the Port Coburn area, I'd love to meet you there for a beer and a burger. You can find us every day on Twitter, at Hockey 50 Years. We're on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And every week you can find us through your favorite podcast app and on the Hockey Podcast Network right here. Thanks again to everyone who's been with us all this time. This has been an amazing season, this 71-72 season. We're starting to get into the home stretch now. We're going to be with you all the way. You hope We hope you'll be with us. And on that note, we'll see you next time. When the ice breaks.